Today's episode of Wide Right is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Miami tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. <laughs> Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get going. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. Manny Jarrell from West Palm. Listen, it was, a, it was a great win, great victory. The defense finally, finally showed up, and it shows that Manny fingerprints was on the post. It was great. I really enjoyed the game. Um, I'm still having a hard time with Eagles. I am really having a hard time with Eagles. I mean, come on. Third down efficiency, two for 10. Seriously, only 15 first downs, 265 yards. Come on, seriously. This guy play calling drives me nuts. But despite his awful play calling, we won. I'm excited. I'm ready for the next game. So one of my questions is, do you think we're going to have a quarterback controversy? Because I really like, how Nikosi is playing. What say you? Bonnie, Raul from Hialeah, baby! We got the W, Money. We got the W, baby! Oi, it feels so good to see the defense come back. It's not like a welcome back quarter, you know? Oi, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Oi, Manny Diaz, I matured before the game. He got the team together, especially the defense. And he explained to them in Spanish and in English because, you know, Manny is very culturally sensitive. That he understands some people not speak it funny. He told them, Oh, esta noche no vamos a jugar como fula. Vamos a enseñar que la tenemos bien puesta in English. We don't play bad tonight. We show them we got the big marbles tonight, okay? Oye, that defense locked down Virginia tighter than the Jonas Brothers with their chastity belt on, my friend. Oye, the defense was having a buffet at Perkins all night, baby. Se estaban jabando el corumbaque ese la noche entera. Gregory Rousseau, a Russo, who knew that we had a Russian on the team and he had arms like a Spencer Gadget. Que bueno el chiquito ese, brother. And Bobo went back to the bench, baby. Bobo went back to the bench and he got replaced by the team, McLovin's, from a super bad, which is kind of ironic because Bobo Bassas is super bad. Okay? And to that coronet, like Horn and Colleen, and last week, I got a message for you. I'm the captain now. Raul is the captain now. We cut your team, we slap you up, we took your horses, we made tasajo with your horses, we took your trumpets, we shoveled up your culitos, and we stop on your backs and play Guantanamera. Get ready, baby, the games are coming back now. We gotta keep it going as Yoriate. Yoriate is in trouble. Here we go. Let's go, game! What do, what do you uh, what do you have to say about that phone call, Kelvin? It's it's amazing how uh, the feelings change with Hurricanes fans when uh, when they win games here. Yeah, man, uh, it's gonna make me go back and watch Super Bad again. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Turner Davidson, the kicker who who really did look like McLovin. Yeah, he does. Well, I mean, 
I guess now it's going to be really interesting in practice once Camden Price comes back, I guess, this week. So, you know, everybody's going to yeah, be, be a, a uh, there'll be a competition. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. It's funny about the play calling, you know, looking around college football this past weekend, depending on whether the team won or lost, everybody offensive coordinator sucks or is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, everybody lives week to week uh, with the results. That's Kelvin Harris, former Miami Hurricane. I'm Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. And, of course, this is the Wide Right Podcast. And we're uh, at the midway point of the season. um, And we love having Kelvin on to sort of break down the team. I get to be the bad guy. He gets to be the good guy because he is a Kane, three-time national champ. So whenever we have our arguments, all the Canes fans can get mad at me and they can they can be happy with Kelvin because he's 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 a good guy, man. He loves the Canes. He, you know, watches every second of it, talks to players, and is a mentor to these guys. And I want to start, um, you know, instead of doing sort of like a grade uh, thing here at the midseason, I want to do more of a – Let's talk about the big issues at the midseason. And obviously, when you start a quarterback, um, it's who should be the starter moving forward. Before I get your opinion on the matter, Kelvin, I want to throw some information out there. All right. That's what you Even with do. his three interceptions against Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's what we do, baby. Even with his three interceptions against Virginia Tech, Jaron Williams still ranks 21st nationally in QB rating. All right, his 71.8% completion percentage, seventh among all FBS quarterbacks. Nikosi Perry has not thrown enough passes to qualify in the QBR standings, but his QBR rating of 150.2, if you rank it among the 20 quarterbacks in the conference who have attempted at least 40 passes, that ranks eighth in the ACC. His QBR is better than Wake Forest's Jamie Newman, who leads the conference in passing yards, Virginia's Bryce Perkins, who you saw the Hurricanes just beat, and even Clemson's Trevor Lawrence. Nikosi has completed 60.7% of his passes for 683 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. Here's the one area where Nikosi is markedly better than Jaron Williams. All right, a stat that may open your open up your eyes. On third down, Nikosi ranks second in the conference in QB rating. Of the 14 passes he's thrown on third down, he's completed 11 of them for 133 yards, one touchdown, and no interception. He's also picked up a first down seven of those 11 times. So you talk about third down issues with the Hurricanes, he is the better quarterback. Here's why. Jaron Williams on third down. He ranks 16th out of 17 qualified quarterbacks in the ACC on third downs. He's 13 of 23 for 89 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and Miami has picked up a first down only four times on his 23 pass attempts. I got more numbers for you, so don't stop me. I'm going to keep going. Okay. What about the red zone? What about the red zone? This is where Jaron Williams is slightly better than Nikosi, okay? Jaron ranks 10th out of 20 qualified quarterbacks in the QBR in the red zone. He's 10 of 16, 69 yards, four touchdowns, a QB rating of 181.23. Nikosi ranks 15th out of those 25 qualified QBs in the red zone. He's only 5 of 13 for 52 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. So for argument's sake, let's just say up to this point we're even, right? Jaron is better in the red zone. Nikosi is better as far as third down passing than Jaron's is. Here's where Nikosi wins the quarterback battle. The fourth quarter. Among 21 qualified QBs in the ACC, Nikosi Perry ranks seventh in the ACC in QBR, 173.11. He's, he's completed 25 of his 37 attempts for 347 yards, 
three touchdowns. He's picked up 16 first downs on those 25 uh, uh, third downs, and he's had 10 completions of 15 yards or more. Jaron Williams, meanwhile, ranks 16th in the ACC in fourth quarter QBR among 25 uh, among 21 QBs. He's 12 of 23. For 120, uh, for 120 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, and he's picked up first downs on only seven of those 23 attempts. He's also only completed four passes of 15 yards or more in the fourth quarter. So we know Nikosi can throw it better than Jaron when it comes to throwing it deeper, and we know now for sure, at least in this first half of the season, that Nikosi's better when it comes to third downs and the fourth quarter where Jaron has the edge is the red zone. In your eyes, who should be the starting quarterback for the Hurricanes the second half of the season? Well, I'll just start with this game. It was it should be Nicosi. Um, and well, if you want to go big picture, I from a talent standpoint had always thought that Nicosi was the most talented of the three quarterbacks, but it was between the ears that was holding him back with his attitude and his study habits. But apparently he solved, you know, that issue. He's become more dedicated and he has a slight advantage. Um, I, I Well, more than a slight advantage, an, an advantage of a year over Jaron as far as being at the college level and understanding how to read coverages. And that, that kind of is what Jaron has been going through the first part of the year. You know, when he holds the ball too long, he's still trying to figure some things out. Um but Nicosi's arm talent is uh, it was on display these last two weeks. And I think he gives us more spacing, you know, more deep ball opportunities. So I know you're not supposed to lose your job because of an injury, but everything else in this in this in this game has been turned upside down. So I don't see why that can't be turned upside down as well. So I would go with Nicosi. I'm with you, and, you know, I wrote on Saturday uh, – well, actually, yeah, it was Saturday morning because the game was so late. I was sitting there uh, at the stadium late. Um, but what I ended up writing essentially was that, to me, I think you can win with either one of these quarterbacks. And ultimately, I think the reason why Manny Diaz feels strongly about Jaron Williams is because I think Jaron, we know, is the more accurate passer. He's got the higher completion percentage. He's not going to take as many dangerous chances. But I think with this team, what makes Nikosi better – um, is that, like you said, the big play is there, and, and it gives them the opportunity to stretch the field. And this offense, we know, that, you know, it's hard to go 80 yards uh, and, and move the chains when, you know, the offensive line is giving up negative plays or the quarterbacks are holding on to the ball too long. Some other, This is another reason why I think Nikosi might be better. I think he's more elusive than Jaron Williams is with the ball in his hands. And I think when, when things break down in terms of protection, he knows how to buy more time. And I also think he knows when to take off and run. I think Jaron at times has been hesitant to take off and run. So to me, when you look at that argument, I think for those reasons, Nikosi's the better guy. That said, I still believe that Manny Diaz prefers Jaron Williams for what they want to do. Um with this offense. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here over the second half of the season. Let's move on because I want to get, make sure we have enough time to talk about everything. Let's move on to running backs um, and the running game in general. I'm going to throw out some more numbers for you. And then I'll pose a question to you, Kelvin. 
Um, the Hurricanes are averaging 66 fewer yards rushing per game this season than they did a year ago. They rank 10th in the ACC in rushing yards per game. Only Syracuse, Florida State, Pittsburgh, and Virginia are worse. Miami is also averaging the second fewest rushes per game. That's 32 uh, per game in the ACC, a little less than five carries per game than they did a year ago. Um, they're averaging, they were, they did average 5.2 yards per carry in 2018. That average is now down to 3.9. We know obviously the offensive line and not getting a push is an issue with that. Saying all that DJ Dallas is running the ball exceptionally. He's carried it 70 times for 472 yards, six touchdowns. That's about 6.7 yards per carry. Only Duke Johnson, uh, has averaged that much in a season at Miami before. Okay. In terms of, um, getting the number of carries that he's getting and then to have an average like that. Um, DJ uh, has averaged 11.5 carries per game, sixth in the conference in rushing yards per game, and that's not with a very good offensive line, as we said. Uh, my bigger big observation from the running backs, Cameron Harris, uh, his role has really diminished the last two weeks. He's carried the ball four times total the last two games for 21 yards. He was averaging close to nine carries per game through Miami's first four games. Um, he's averaging about 22 snaps per game for the season. He's been close to that number the last two weeks, 21 snaps against Virginia Tech, 16 against Virginia. He's just not getting the ball these last two games. Um, another quick observation, Miami's receivers and tight ends. Yes, I said tight ends. Uh, that would be Jeff Thomas, D. Wiggins, Mike Harley, Mark uh, Pope, Jeremiah Payton, K.J. Osborne, and Brevin Jordan, who got a carry this past week inexplicably. Uh, when they carried on jet sweeps, those guys have combined to run 17 times for 128 yards. That's a 7.5-yard uh, per carry average. So the jet sweeps are working. Um, what is not working is third and short, okay? And, and I got these numbers for you. They run the ball 12 times on third and short, meaning three yards or less, and they're averaging one yard per carry. They've picked up a first down only four times um, on those 12 attempts on third and short. Last year in third and short, Miami ran it 38 times, averaged 5.39 yards per carry, and it picked up 21 first downs. My question to you, uh, Mr. Offensive Lineman, is there anything that can really be done as far as improving this running game in your eyes? And does that include using the fullback, Realist George, more often? Maybe maybe using the fullback, but it starts with the five guys that are on the field. Um, they got to do a better job. Um, me personally, I just don't like their 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 surge to get off. They got to they gotta they got to move the line of scrimmage more. Uh, you got a 355-pound right uh, left guard. He's got to be more dominant. And I think, you know, the inside three guys, you know, two guards in the center, they got to get more movement. Because what's happening is teams are just stacking a line. Well, it, it's a twofold thing. When Jerem was in there, teams would just stack a line of scrimmage because um, they didn't fear the deep ball. And that that hurt us. And then Nicosi's been in there. They just been blitzing. I mean, they fear the deep ball somewhat, but on third down, they're just taking their chances because they know for whatever reason we're not handling the blitz better. So, you know, Enos is trying to find something that works. And, you know, I see all these people that jumped on him for that option play. Dan Enos or uh, Dan Mullen did the same thing against LSU. I mean, probably did it a little bit too much, but I mean you know, sometimes, you know, you, 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 you have to, you know, you have to go through your phone book of a play play sheet and find, you know, different things that work. And because they don't trust the offensive line to come off and fire 
come far off the ball and, and get a yard or two yards, they're they're just searching. So once again, I'm starting with the five guys. They got to do a better job. Now, one thing I will say, Realist George was the number one fullback in the country in the two previous recruiting classes. We heard about how well he looked in the, in the spring. Coaches were happy with him. They thought he was improving, hitting guys. Yet, what we see out there are guys like Michael Parrott and Jimmy Murphy, you know, uh, walk-on type guys who are getting fullback carries and are, and are in whenever they do go short yardage. It's, it's kind of baffling to me. That's the one area where I think Enos has to figure out a way to get his best players on the field, especially when you're only, you know, averaging t- one yard per carry on third and short. Well, I'll say this. It's not like they don't want to play him. So there's something that, you know, something ain't going on there. Okay. With the kid. Because, I mean, you know, there's no way you would, you know, you, you, you know he's playing on special teams. But he isn't being used, so there's got to be something. Something ain't right. You know, he didn't learn the plays or he's not practicing good because they wouldn't just not have him on, you know, just not use him. Okay. Fair enough. Let's move on to the offensive line before we get to receiver. Um, Miami leads the nation in sacks allowed. We know that. They've given up 28 this season. We know the coaches say that is not all on the offensive line, and we buy that because we've seen it on film. There's been a few sacks where the quarterbacks have simply – held on to the ball too long or didn't throw it away. But still, Zion Nelson went into this past week's game having allowed six of those 28 sacks. He has the, he's the worst off, uh, worst graded uh, offensive tackle in college football, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, when it comes to PFF grades, he scored 35.8 versus Florida, 53.6 versus North Carolina, 59.7 against Central Michigan, 56.9 versus Virginia Tech, and then 54 this past week against Virginia obviously all the FBS opponents, uh, all those scores are below average, but at least he's out of the 30s in into the 50s these last four games. Uh, my question to you, should coaches have considered moving DJ Scaife out to left tackle, and should they consider doing it in the second half of the season? Here are DJ Scaife's pro, fo- pro football focus grades. 62.6 versus Florida, 61.3 versus Carolina, 63.7 against Central Michigan, 66.2 versus Virginia Tech, and 67.3 versus Virginia. Those last two games are above the 65 average. It would have been DJ a bad State. move to put him over there this game because of um, uh, Noah, Noah Taylor, and he's 6'5", 215, and he had, like, stretch Armstrong long arms. Meaning the guy he was and going to And the sack that um, Zion Nelson gave up, was, you know, he he bent a little bit. Like, he, you know, this is when his, his youth showed. Because when you're going up against a guy like that, you got to get your head back. Yeah, I don't remember who he is. Chest back. And you got to use your arms to punch. But the problem is, <laughs> that guy's arms was longer than his. And so, he the one second he got, he got his hands on the nameplate. And just, he made a great move. But the thing that I like about Nelson is that he makes adjustments. He gets better. He keeps competing. And I guess he's taking this all in stride. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in the game, I was looking at his technique, and it it improved. I just think you got to stick with him because he's getting better. Yeah, I mean, I know he's going to improve as the season goes on. I just wonder, you know, if you're trying to still win this division – which they are. They're in contention to win this division. I wonder, you know, why not make the switch to the to the guy who's clearly better than him because he's older than him. He's got an extra year of experience, um, and he's been at it longer. I... The, the, the thing with that is 
um, Scaife has basically been playing right side. And I don't know, because, you know, it depends on the, on the guy. I don't know if he feels more comfortable on the right side as he does the left side, because if he moves to the left side, because the footwork is complete opposite. And, you know, it get, you, it take you know, it's not something for most guys where they just can flip-flop and it's not a difference. So I don't know where he's at because he's not a typical left tackle size. I mean, 6'3", 3'10". He might not even be 6'3". I mean, you know. So I don't know. But Nelson is – I mean, I know he's rating low now, but three years from now we'll be like, whoa, guy's a stud. It's just that it's going to take some time. And um, I just think that they're going to get better as the year goes on, and they're getting better. So unless he just, you know, and of course, I'm sure they have a contingency plan if he has a meltdown. So we'll we'll see. But right now, just let, let, him, let him keep doing what he's doing. All right. Miami's receivers a year ago. You know what Miami ranked uh, in pass offense? 113th, <laughs> 113th in passing yards per game, 167.3. This season, the Hurricanes rank 19th in pass offense. That's the effect of Danny Nose. So people can sit here and, you know, be upset with his play calling and yada, yada, yada. But Miami is averaging 292.8 passing yards per game. They're now 19th in the country in passing offense. Um, Honestly... And this might not be what your listeners want to hear. They can take it for what it is. But people that didn't play the game or sucked at it, I'm just not listening to them. I mean, all these people drawing up plays, this and that. Look, this dude is running. I'll give you an example. He made a move on the goal line, and, and I'm, you know, KJ Osborne didn't convert, but. When he made that shift and put the two tight ends to the opposite side of the field and it gave K.J. Osborne a one-on-one, that was a great scheme. Now, some people say, well, why didn't he use D. Wiggins or Brian Hightower? Maybe because he didn't trust them guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you see a certain guy run a certain route, there's a, there's a reason. Now, sometimes – it makes sense to you and me. Sometimes it doesn't. But when I saw Osborne run the one-on-one, it made sense because he's the, he's been the best, you know, receiver out of the group. And, you know, the other choice would be Jeff Thomas, but he's, what, 5'10". So, and then if you put Will Mallory or Brian, Brevin Jordan out there, they know what's coming. Well, I'm going to give you a... St- I'm going to give you a stat and then ask you ask you a question. Um, Miami has four receivers ranked in the top 30 in the ACC in catches. Brevin Jordan, 24 catches, 417 yards, two touchdowns. Jeff Thomas, 24 catches, 270 yards, and two touchdowns. Osborne, 23 catches, 285 yards, three scores. And Mike Harley, 19 catches, 216 yards, one touchdown. That's pretty good ball distribution. The only other team in the ACC with four receivers in the top 30 in catches is Syracuse. Now I ask you, who's been Miami's best receiver and why? And I, and obviously we throw the tight ends in there. Brevin Jordan, not even close. Fair enough. I mean, he's been the guy who's come up with a lot of the big plays. So I think certainly from that perspective, uh, he's been the most consistent, right? 
Yeah, what's this? This is uh, going into the seventh game. So let's just say he's got six, seven more. We've got him for about 20 more games because as soon as they play their last game in 2020, he's out. His career, his career at UM is over. I mean, he won't be back in 2021 because he's a first-round pick waiting to happen. I mean, I think what fans need to do if you get a chance is to watch him block. He is pretty damn good as an inline blocker, and I think that's what's going to take him over the top. The one thing that he probably will want to work on in the offseason is his straight-ahead, straight-line speed because um, – he got caught the other day, but he was probably tired. And then Mark Pope could have done just a smidget more, gave a smidget more effort on that block. I mean, all he had to do was just get in front of the guy and Brevin scores. So, yeah, it's not even close. He's first-team All-American in my opinion. Defensively, let's switch the conversation to that side because we spent a lot of time on this uh, podcast talking offense. And, and really, there's not a lot of – things to discuss on defense obviously Manny's return this week I think uh was a huge boon for that unit they played a lot better a lot crisper um Miami ranks I think uh 25th in points allowed they're averaging about 19 points per game and that's including that 42 point uh debacle against um uh Virginia Tech they rank seventh against the run which is which is the biggest area they've improved because they 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 were good last year obviously uh, tackles for loss, third down defense, all of that. But the rushing defense, when you look at what they've gotten better at, it's that. They're in the top 10 in that category. Um, we know the passing defense isn't as uh, as good. There's been too many breakdowns in the secondary. I think I tweeted this out during the game. They've given up, I think, six pass plays of 40 yards or more. Last year, the whole season, I think it was four pass plays the whole season uh, where they gave up 40 yards or more. So, um it just they just haven't been good enough on that side. Where do they rank total defense? In terms of total defense, let me I'll take a look at that number now as we're talking. Um as far as total defense, they rank eighteenth nationally um in in uh yards per game. Um they're giving up four point six yards uh per uh play, which which is tied with Iowa State, NC State for seventeenth. So I mean look, they're top twenty five in a lot of categories. Um, I think the breakdowns in the secondary is really, and you know, and at times, um, missed tackles. Um, let's start with the defensive line because the pass rush this past week was impressive. They got five sacks. Um, Gregory Rousseau started his first game. We saw the impact that he made. He's still playing the fourth fewest snaps among defensive ends. I went and I, I added up all the snaps from every single game. Um, and Jonathan Garvin, Still getting the most. He's 305. After him, you got uh, Trevon Hill um, and Scott Patchen, 174, 133. And then uh, Rousseau's played 110 snaps up to this point, and yet he's he's clearly the most productive. Um, actually, wait, I, that's not right. I, he has, what, five he's got sacks? five right? sacks, yeah. But you know what? That number's not right because I didn't add this last game. He's got 164 snaps now, which which is closer to Patchen. Patchen's played 174, and Hill's played 133. So he's actually third on the team snaps now at defensive ends. Um, so, you know, he's he's doing – he's productive. Um, my question to you is, what, what other changes do you think Manny can do here in the second half to make this pass rush better? 
Um, I would like to see them do a NASCAR package where they have all four of those guys on the field, third and long, but they're not going to do it. Uh, I think um, create some mismatches uh, because, you know, you want to get Hill, Russo, Garvin on the field at the same time. And, you know, I think Patrick would be an effective three-technique rusher. And, you you know, they've been using uh, Russo sometimes over the nose. So, you know, you're looking, you know, to get that type of speed on the field. I like that more so than I would that three-down line thing because there's just too many too much too much space, too many gaps in it. But other than that, man, really it's just based on the performance of the guys and what they do. Um the linebackers, we we touched on them a bit last week uh after the loss of Virginia Tech and, and we talked about how they needed to step up their game. It feels like that's been a conversation we've had quite a bit this season because when you look at their pro football focus grades, and again, we know pro football focus, they don't know what the play call is, so they're viewing it just off the film. But when you look at pro football focus Pinkney, uh, of the two of them, um, Pinkney has graded out above average uh, the, each of the last three games, including um, a team high 84.9 this past week against uh, Virginia. Um, Shaq, on the other hand, let's see here. He's had one, two, three. He's had three games where he's also graded out above average. Uh, Central Michigan being his highest score, 74.3. People always ask me all the time, Manny, what's wrong with the linebackers? In your mind, what have they done right? What have they done wrong? What do they need to get better at the second half? When it comes to the run game, they're doing a good job. Uh, there was a couple of times this game I thought maybe Shaq got caught up in the wash, got got you know glued to the blocker. But for the most part in the run game and in blitzes, they're doing a pretty good job. Um, I think sometimes in the pass area, Shaq gets kind of out of out of whack because that's not his strength. Um, against Virginia Tech, both of them got lost a couple times, but Pinkney showed me some coverage skills that I don't, you know, I hadn't seen from him in the year, year years past. I just think they just need to just do the job, you know, and not not maybe get carried away trying to do too much because I knew, you know, they're seniors and, you know, that, you know, think sometimes they want to try and make every play and that's just not possible. Um, just do your job, be in your gap. Defensive backs. Let's, let's talk about those guys now. Um, this past game, Bubba Bolden um, actually graded out pretty well. Him and Gervin Hall both graded out in the seventies. Obviously the Canes lost Amari Carter with that, uh, uh. That targeting penalty, I I don't know what it is, man. Like, I guess, do you want to debate this targeting thing before we before we wrap this up? Yeah, that one there just kind of, you know. And then somebody posted a picture. I guess they got a still of technically where his head hit. I get what they're trying to do, but here's the thing: I think there needs to be an addendum to the rule when they're judging it. If a receiver ducks his head, there has to be some type of well, that ain't targeting, because here's the problem. A receiver going down the middle of the field catches the ball. He's got his arms extended. A defensive back, let's just say Amari Carter 6'2", and the guy's hitting is 5'10". Amari Carter 
is aiming at his numbers, the middle of his numbers with his shoulder. All right, so the guy's got his arms extended. Cool. But then when he gets into the meat of his hit and the guy is coming down, he scrunches up to absorb the blow and automatically he lowers his head. His head lowers. His target lowers. So unless we got some physics uh, geniuses working as referees and in these conferences, it's just not physically possible for a DB to make an adjustment mid-hit. And I just think it's wrong. And it's dumb. Yeah. I'm with you all the way, man. I'm with you all the way. Um. All right, one other topic with the DBs real quick. DJ Ivy was catching a lot of heat from this past game because he gave up a few of those catches. It seems to me, based on what Manny said, that, I mean, really, yeah. you got to give Virginia's quarterback credit for making some good throws and his receivers for getting up there. Yeah, for get, getting up and making those catches. I do want to say this before we go. DJ Ivy, um, his grades from Pro Football Focus have been above average each of the previous three games. Um, this was the first time he scored below average. Uh, since the North Carolina game. So, yeah, I mean, they, the cornerbacks haven't played great. Him and Al Blades, um, you know, have had moments where they've given up uh, deep pass plays. Trajan Bandy just scored his highest grade this what past did... game. He got a 68 uh, against Virginia. So, yes, there's been times when they've blown coverages and all that, but I don't think it's as bad as... Uh, no, it's not even close. What did they grade Al Blades at this game, for this game? Al Blades for this game received a 61.9 grade, which is, you know, again, the average is 65. So it's a little below average. It's not horrendous. Well, I mean, I'm not going to take their word for it. <laughs> so, right. So, right. like, after the game, <laughs> uh, you know, I talked with a DB, a former DB, a former All Pro DB, a former UM All, you know, one of my old teammates. And we talked about this. And, you know, during the game, Lamar, Lamar is calling me back and forth. Me and him are talking back and forth. So, like, say, for instance, on the, the long pass at the end of the first half, you know, Lamar brought up, you know, the point that, hey, they were in two invert. And um, actually, I saw the same thing last night in the pro game. Two invert is basically cover two, but the safety in the corner switch positions. And a lot of times that happens when they think the team is going to the certain route underneath. And so what happened is we had run that coverage a couple times and actually Robert knows it almost gotten a pick on it. And they made an adjustment and just ran a straight nine route. And DJ Ivy was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And yeah, he may have messed it up, but I kind of put that one, no, I did put that one on the call because, you know, like I was telling Lamar, we should just that, ran that's cover the, four. That's the 49-yard game in the first half. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of those other catches, he played the technique well. I mean, I thought, I mean, I, I have enough knowledge of DB, you know, you know, growing up with Dion, I know, you know, learn how to backpedal with a AD, maybe the greatest corner ever. And then, you know, I'm good friends with Ryan McNeil and some other guys. You know, me and, and you know, I talked to Ryan also about it. He's like, man, you know, they quarterback made some great throws. I mean, their their wide receivers made some great catches. They high pointed the ball. They, you know, 
the, the, the DBs played the technique, the rake technique. They watched the eyes. I mean, it was textbook coverage. It's just that sometimes the offense is better than the defense, and that was the situation here. All right, you heard it. Um, and, and you know what? You heard it from Manny Diaz, too. So it's not just you saying it. It You you and the coaches are sort of on the same page. And, and, I, and I trust you guys when you're all in concert. When you guys have different opinions, that's when I know the coaching staff might be lying because you guys don't lie. You guys see it for what it is, the good and the bad. Yeah, and then you know what? Sometimes there's other factors that we don't know, like dealing with the players or some, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, they're not going to ever – they might not even tell us. You know, because the one thing I will say that's changed over the years is that the coaches protect the players like coaches take the hit a lot more. You know, it's a lot, a lot more secrecy going on. But I'll say this. Robert Knowles, what was his grade? Game, uh, Robert Knowles. Let's go and look. Um, this past game, he got 71.1. So he actually graded out well. All, all three safeties over 70, by the way. Well, that's the thing. You don't know who is back there playing safety because you never hear their names called. You see them make a tackle, maybe they break up a – but they're not getting beat. They're playing well. And I don't know what their grade not is, but when I don't know who to say – like, like you know, when he made that one almost interception, I'm like, oh, Nose is playing. And then I'd happen to see Bubba playing. I knew he was playing because when they went to the, the end zone shot during the telecast – He's up in the box and you see him, you know, because he's in the camera's view. But you just never know who the safety is. You know who's in. You don't know if it's Bubba, if it's Nose, if it's Amari, Gervin. I mean, because they're all playing good. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing I think people need to understand. You know, Manny said this. They want to play as many people that play, that earn the right to play. And we have four safeties who are good. And we've got three corners who are good. And of those seven, six are coming back next year. So just let that sink in. <laughs> they just got to get rid of the, the mental breakdowns where guys are going uncovered. And and as you said, on that 49-yard pass play, it seems like the coaches might have just had the wrong call. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We got to go. Kelvin, thanks for coming on, man, and uh, doing the midseason breakdown form uh, with me. Um, and, you know, I'm going to bring on uh, – try to bring on Tori McElhaney, our Georgia Tech writer – to preview Saturday's noon kickoff against the Yellow Jackets. You talk about a long season, man. Those guys in Atlanta, that's been a rough season for those guys over there. Uh, but you know yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to talk with her too. She's, okay. You know, she's probably going to need, if she doesn't have a drinking problem by now, <laughs> I'd be impressed. Cause, <laughs> listen, I'll say this before I go, Manny. I track each team's participation or the starters for each game. Usually it takes two, three minutes. Man, they gotta they done switched up, they line up every game. Yep. Trying to find something. Quarterbacks, linemen, yeah. We better win by at least twenty five. Well the Canes I think are favored by twenty going into this game. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Kelvin, thanks for coming on. Uh that's gonna do it for this edition of the White Wide Right Podcast. See you on Thursday. The new Miami, the new Miami.